السلام عليكم I guess you guys want to hear me. Um, how's everyone doing today? It's like that, huh? <laughs> One of them Fridays. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri, wa ahlul uqdata min lisani ya qawl qawli. When I saw the, the topic that was proposed, I was actually very happy uh, that we are going to talk about that. And the reason why is that uh, finding peace in chaos uh, is something that I think everyone can relate to. Uh, first of all, I want to kind of break down the topic and then give you an idea of what it is that I want to convey. But before I do that, I actually have a request from you in the audience. So we have a principle in our deen, and that is that a few principles that I want to begin with um, fundamental principles. One of them is The Prophet ﷺ said in one of the most important ahadith that verily actions are by intention. And everyone will have that which they intended. So what we learn from this hadith is this principle that intention is key. Intention is key in terms of getting the fruits of our toil. Uh, the other principle is that the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an that لَيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى That mankind, that human beings will not have except what they strive for, سَعَى And this word سَعَى, where have you heard this word before, سَعِي? Anyone? حَجَّنْ عُمْرَةً, right? This word sa'i literally means, well, it's referring in Hajj and Umrah as that, that distance that Hajar ran, right? The distance between Safa and Marwa. She did this seven times. That's called sa'i. Do you know why? Because sa'i means to strive. And so what Hajar did is she strove. She was in a really difficult situation. In fact, she was in what would look like an impossible situation. She's in the middle of the desert. There's no one around and she's with her child. And so what did she do in that situation? She got up and she strove. She ran between Safa and Marwa and she didn't do it once. She didn't do it twice, she didn't do it three times, she did it seven times. And there's a lot of lessons we can learn from that. First of all, she didn't give up. Second of all, she didn't lose hope. And this is a lesson for all of us in our lives, just kind of as a side note, because um, what happens in our own lives when you try something and it doesn't work? Not usually, but maybe if you're persistent, you try again. But then you tried it twice and it didn't work. Anyone? Maybe you give up. Maybe you're very persistent. So you try three times and then four. But you understand what's happened here. She has tried the same thing, not once, not twice, not three times. She did it seven times and she didn't give up hope. And she continued to strive. And that's sad. And so we learn from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that لَيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى Mankind will not have except what they strive for. We have to strive for the things that we want. We can't, and you know, one could say that Hajar could have just sat and waited to be saved. Right? Right? I mean, she's the wife of a prophet. She could have sat and waited to be saved. But she didn't sit. She got up and she worked. She got up and she strove. She did something. And this is a very, very important principle, is that 
you know, it's, it's that lesson of tying your camel. How many people have heard this before? Do you know where this comes from? It comes from a tradition. What happened was is that there was a companion who wasn't tying his camel. And when the Prophet asked him why, he said, because I have my trust in God. I have my, I have tawakkul, right? I, I, I put my trust in Allah. So then the Prophet said something so profound and so meaningful. He said, And what this profound, simple statement means is, tie camel and put your trust in Allah. And by the way, it doesn't say tie your camel and then after that put your trust in Allah. It says tie your camel and at the same time put your trust in Allah. What that means is that while we have our trust in God, yes, we know that our salvation comes from Allah and it's not going to come from anyone else. And it isn't going to come from anywhere else. But at the same time, we still have to strive. And we still have to put in some effort. We have to put in some work. Does that make sense? And so even though Hajar was in a state of tawakkul, she, you know, in fact, we're told that she called out to her husband and she said, was it, was it Allah who told you to bring us here? Is this, is this a wahi? Is this something that you were commanded to do? Because that's pretty scary to be left in a desert with a child and then your husband's leaving. You know what I mean? Can you guys imagine? And so she calls out and she asks, is this a command from God? And when he said it was, then she felt a sense of tawakkul, right? She, was, she, she felt at peace with knowing that, okay, then that means God's got my back, right? That means God, Allah has got me and my child. So she, she, she knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would take care of them. But did that mean she didn't take any, any action? Did that mean that she didn't do any work? She didn't put, she didn't strive? And, and as you know, she did. And at, in fact, her striving was so memorable that every single person walks in her footsteps in order to, to, to fulfill one of the most important rituals of our deen, which is both Hajj and Umrah. We, 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 we walk literally in her footsteps. So this concept that we have to strive for what we want. We have to strive in order to get fruit. You know, a, a farmer needs to strive. A farmer needs to, to, to plant the seed and then, and then take care of that in order to get fruit. And so what I ask from my audience is that I want you within yourselves to set an intention of what you hope to gain today. I want you to, because, you know, if Allah tells us that you will not have except what you strive for, so we have to know what we're striving for. Are you even clear on what you're striving for? Do you know what your intention is? Do you know what you hope to, to, to get? Or do you know what you're seeking? That's the question I'm asking. Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what we're looking for. How many people feel like they know what they're looking for? Exactly. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Sometimes we're not even clear. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. If you're driving somewhere and you're not really sure what the address is, are you going to get there? You don't even know what to put into your, into your GPS, right? You have to know where you're going if you're going to get there. And so what I want to ask you to do, and this, isn't, this is something you do within yourself, is to set a mental goal of what you hope to gain tonight and then obviously in your life.
Okay, but let's start with what, what did you come for? What are you seeking? Everyone's seeking something. And, and, and if you're not clear on what that is, become clear on it. Because you can't reach somewhere if you don't know where you're going. Does that make sense? So everyone, I want everyone to take a few moments um, and just think about, you know, what is it that I need in my life? What is it that I'm looking for? What is it that I'm seeking? And then I want you to make dua. I want you to, to ask Allah to give you that tonight and to give you that in your life and to give everyone in this room, you know, um, what it is they came to seek. Can you guys do that for me? So just take a few moments and just do that. Does anyone want to share? Does anyone want to share? It's okay if it's too personal, you don't need to. But if you feel like you want, yes, brother. Peace. Peace. You're looking for more peace. Come to look for peace. Okay. Inshallah. Yes. In the back, yeah. Okay, so she said the guidance from Allah and the pleasure of Allah to please Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with that. Yes. Lose that balance. So he said to, to, to have more of a sense of balance because it's easy to get focused on one thing and then lose sight of other things. Yes. Motivation. Motivation. Yes. I guess the remembrance of Allah in any situation. Okay, beautiful. Remembering Allah in any situation. Yes. Um, I recently went to Hajj and uh, over there I thought I didn't know anything about our deen. And I want to focus and I want to learn about our deen and Islam and more knowledge about other religions. that's beautiful. I'll repeat what you said. Uh, she said recently she went to Hajj, mashallah, Hajj Mabrur. And before that, she didn't know a lot about the deen, and now she has this love, like desire to learn more. May Allah, may Allah give you that. Yes, in the back. Is that it's Allah. 
right? It's Allah. So what happens is that obviously we don't know what's inside another person, right? I can't see what's inside another person's heart or another person's mind, but Allah can. And so Allah knows exactly what you need. Allah knows exactly what you need. Allah knows exactly what you need. And He also knows exactly what you need to hear. I don't know, but Allah knows. And I'm the same one who Allah knows me. And, and, and so it's Allah who knows and it's Allah who inspires. So it's it's through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not it's not us, it's not me. Because I mean I don't I'm I don't know anything of the unseen. I'm 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 a human being, same as others. So it's it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like I ask you in my house, like to pray for me, and then would you pray for me? It was it was I got the message, it was conveyed to me that you prayed for me and it was very powerful prayer and I say I just wanted to say thank you. Well may Allah bless you. May Allah bless you. So, anyone else want to share? Okay, yes. Clarity. Clarity. Thank you for saying that. Inshallah, we'll talk about that. Yes. Finding peace through difficulties. Finding peace through difficulties and disappointments. Okay, wonderful. Now, I want to start. So, this this is this is really good, Alhamdulillah, because this is exactly what we want to talk about today. Um, when we talk about peace and chaos, first, I want to define um, chaos. Why is there chaos? And, and what is it that we're suffering from right now? What is, it, what is it that we're suffering from as human beings in the um, earthly experience, in the worldly experience that we're in? What is it about the nature of this life that we are all being tested with? Well, there's a few things. Number one is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unseen. The prophets are unseen. The angels are unseen. Hellfire is unseen. Jannah is unseen. All of these things we can't see. And therein lies the test. Many of us, what happens is that we go through this world and we get so caught up in that which we can see, in that which we can feel and touch, the material things, and we forget about that which we cannot see. And this is exactly why this life is a test, isn't it? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can't see Him. We, we can't see Jannah and Jahannam. We don't know, you know, we, we can't see the grave. But these are realities. And so what ends up happening is that in this chaos of dunya, we get caught up. We get caught up in media, in our jobs, in money, in, you know, you know, social media, which is so much about how you appear in front of other people. What do other people think about you? How do you look? You know, we we live in right now in a time um, like it's like unprecedented time of complete obsession with appearances, like obsession, right? It's 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 so it's become so. Um, important what you look like what you wear how you present yourself why because this is the culture we're in right now the Instagram culture and, and, and it's all about putting yourself out there and looking a certain way having a specific type of image and so all of these things create a chaos they create a, as, as one of the brothers mentioned it's distracting right you get you lose focus of what matters and the reason for that is this is what we can see, right? This is what's close to us. This is what we can experience, you know, firsthand. But Jannah, Jahannam, that just seems far away, right? 
Even Allah feels far away to many of us. Am I right? Even if we pray, sometimes we feel like, but I don't feel Allah, right? I'm, I'm praying, maybe I'm going through the motions, but I don't feel connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so what happens is, I don't feel connected to Allah, I don't feel connected to heaven or hell, but I feel connected to my phone, you know? I feel connected to my friends on, on Instagram, Facebook, that I feel connected to because it's in front of me, right? It's, it's not unseen, right? It's not ghaib, it's not ghaib, it's something, it's something immediate. It's something, it's something I can feel and touch, it's the material. And so this is our biggest test. Our test is that we, we choose the material over the spiritual, right? We choose the immediate gratification over the delayed gratification, right? Because Jannah is not right now. Heaven is not right now. Meeting Allah is not right now. And so we instead focus on, well, I'm gonna meet my friend, right? Or, or I'm gonna meet you know, someone that I love. And, and we forget and we kind of put aside what, what, is, what is coming. Now, how can we avoid that? So this is one of the pitfalls of the, the chaos of dunya, of the materialism, of the fact that there's so much to get distracted by. And to be honest, there's only one answer. There's only one way to, to not fall into that trap. There's only one way. And that is something called dhikr. Dhikr. You know what dhikr is? Can anyone just define this word? Remembrance. Remembrance. The reason, see, I want everyone to reflect for a moment. You know, people a lot of times from other faiths, they find out we pray five times a day, they're like, that's a lot. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot. I thought I was religious and I pray before bed, you know? Oh, like I, I pray on Sunday or something and that's religious. Five times, and that's just the fun, right? That's without any sunnah prayers. So if you, if you reflect on that for a second, why do we pray five times a day? And by the way, it used to be 50. How many people know this? If you actually study, you find that when the commandment first came, it was 50 times. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reduced it to five. So what do I want you to do? I want you to think about why would that be the case? Why? There's a reason why our Creator told us to pray five times a day, and He, and he spread out those prayers throughout the day. They could have all been before bed, right? Or all in the morning before we got busy with our day. But that's exactly the point. It's so that we don't become so busy with the material things that we forget about our actual purpose. Does that make sense? It is, it is a reminder that is designed in the prescription. It's designed to make us stay focused. And so the fact that you were saying, you know, sometimes you get off track or you get focused on, that's human nature. And that's why Allah has told us to pray five times a day. That prayer is to remind us, it's a remembrance, it's dhikr. It's to remind us, it's to recalibrate, it's to reorient us, what to our ultimate purpose. Our ultimate purpose. Now let me, let me come back to what is our ultimate purpose. What is our ultimate purpose? Allah tells us, This is a very profound ayah, and I, I can't do it justice. But generally or, or roughly translated, it means 
Allah says that we have not created jinn and humans for any other purpose except to know, worship, love God. Now, I can't only translate it as worship because it is not just worship in the ritualistic sense. That's not what it means. Is when you, if I were to translate one way to translate it, it's it's enslaving ourselves to God so that we can become free. See, it, it, it seems like a contradiction, right? That's why it's like when you say you're a slave of God, a lot of people think of slave because the word slave is a very negative word, right? It has a very negative connotation. Yes, being a slave to anything other than the Creator is a negative thing. In fact, it's oppressive. It's oppression. It is the worst kind of oppression to enslave yourself to anything other than God. But to enslave yourself to God, to become a abd of Allah, to become a slave of Allah, is the only way to actually become free. That's deep. Do you know why? I'll answer that question by telling you something. One of the companions of the Prophet, or it might have been a tabi'i, he, he came to, the, um, to one of the towns and he said, I have come to free you from the slavery to the slave and bring you to the slavery of the Lord of the slave. <coughs> so what is he saying? He's saying, I'm coming to free you. Here's the thing, every single one of us is a slave. Every single one of us is a slave to something. Everyone's a slave to something. Some people are slaves to their desires. Some people are slaves to another person. Some people are slaves to money. Some people are slaves to power. Some people are slaves to, you know, um, image how they appear in front of people. A lot of people are slaves to what other people think. Have you heard of that? But what are people gonna say? There are people out there, there are cultures out there where everything you do or don't do is based on, but what are people gonna say? What are people gonna say? That's called slavery. That's slavery. What are you a slave to? Other people. The opinions of other people. What those people are gonna say about you and about your family. That's slavery. When, when a woman is told, no, go back to your abusive husband, because what are people gonna say? That's oppression. That's, but what's the root of that oppression? It's slavery to what other people think. That's actually the root of the oppression because you're, you're, so, you're more worried about what people think than you are about anything else. And that's why, that's one kind of slavery. When we enslave ourselves only to Allah, meaning that I'm not a slave to what people think. I'm not a slave to my own desires. I'm not a slave to money. I'm not a slave to image and power and status, I'm only a slave to Allah. Then and only then do you become free. 
So that is what Allah is saying when He says, "Wa ma khalaqtu al-jinna wal-ins illa liyabdul." It's very important we remember why we're here. Why were we created? Because it's easy to get lost in this 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 chaos of life, right? Between our jobs and social media and our and, you know our friends and our drama, a lot of drama, right? Netflix. You know, I mean, that's a big part. That's important, right? So there's a lot of distractions, and it's easy to forget why am I here? Some of us, some of us aren't clear on that, and and this is a reminder of why we're here. Allah says, "I have not created human beings. I've not created jinn and human beings for any purpose except obodeya, except that they enslave themselves to me, and that's how we're going to become free." Does that make sense? When you remember your purpose, then everything else can fall into place. But you have to know your purpose. If you lose sight of your purpose, nothing's going to make sense. Nothing is going to make sense. There's a question a lot of people suffer from, uh, or or struggle with, rather, and that's the question of why do bad things happen to good people? A lot of people struggle with this question. You know that that question is what happens when you lose sight of your purpose, and I'll explain why. The reason is that if you lose sight of your purpose, then you lose sight of what bad and good really are. You actually don't understand. If you lose sight of your purpose, you lose sight of what what is good for me and what is bad for me. So. When you ask why do bad things happen to good people, the reality is bad things never happen to good people. Bad things never happen to good people, and and I'll tell you the proof for that. There's a prophetic hadith. There's a hadith that says, "The matter of a believer is strange. Why?" Because everything is good for him or her. So do you see what the hadith is saying? The hadith is saying that bad things will never happen to a believer. And now immediately you're asking in your mind, but what about this? But what about this thing that happened? And what about this? And what about this person who who lost, you know, a family member? And this person who this happened to them? And this person? See, this is where we have to go back to the root. What actually is the definition of good and bad? Yes, I'm not saying that people aren't going to go through pain. I'm not. I can't tell you that people aren't going to go through loss. But what we are promised is that for a believer, everything will end up good for them, even if it means pain and loss. That's deep. Even pain and loss. Ultimately, is good for a believer. That's really deep, and that's, by the way, that's an entire other discussion. That's an entire other discussion. I talk a lot about that, inshallah, in the, in, in the book, and I have a class um, called Silver Lining in, in Maghrib. But the whole idea is that no matter what comes in the path of a believer, if a, if a person knows their purpose, everything that happens to you is actually for your own good. Is actually for your own good. I'll give you an analogy of that. Um, 
when you take a child into the doctor to get shots, what's the reaction of that child? Anyone taken an infant to get shots? Not the happiest day for the infant, right? The infant screams, is angry, is like, you know, very, very, isn't happy with the doctor, right? Now imagine you take a 10-year-old to get the same shot. And you can explain to the 10-year-old that this is, this is for your own good. What's the reaction of the 10-year-old? Well, maybe not happy, but also not screaming and shouting, right? Okay. Now when you take an adult, a full-grown adult, who's going into the doctor to get life-saving medicine through a needle. So it's the same shot. Imagine that each of these people, each of these, the baby, the 10-year-old, and the adult, are all getting the same life-saving medicine. It's actually saving their life. Everyone with me? What's the reaction of the adult who's just had their life saved through this needle? Thank you. It's, that, that adult isn't screaming and shouting. That adult isn't angry at the doctor. In fact, it's the opposite. The adult is grateful. Can someone tell me what's the difference between the baby and the adult? It's understanding. It's just understanding. It's the same exact experience. Am I right? It's the same exact needle. It's the same exact pain. But the understanding is different. And so the reaction is different, right? The adult knows that this is actually for my own good. That this isn't to hurt me. This is actually to save me. This is actually to heal me. This is actually to make me stronger. And so the adult reacts with gratitude. And this is a concept in, in Islam called rida or sabr. Rida means contentment with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be content with what Allah has chosen for you. To be content with what Allah is doing in your life. Sab means to be patient, to persevere. It is, it is only possible that you're going to be able to, to be patient and have contentment if you understand that whatever Allah does is for your own good. Right? And to know this is from Allah and whatever Allah brings is the best. Here's another analogy to kind of make you understand. If, okay, every single person here, after this talk is done, goes outside, finds their mother or their father, picking them up and starts driving. So you get in the car, your mother's driving, right? And your mother starts driving and then you ask, where are we going? Because you don't really recognize the route. Right? And then your mother says, don't worry, you'll, you know, it'll, you'll see. How many people at that point call 911? Because they're being abducted and they're scared. Nobody. Why? But you don't know where you're going. Why? Because you trust the driver. That's it. That's it. It's because you trust the one who's driving. Even when you don't know where you're going. But you know that your mother's not going to do something bad for you. Right? You know your mother's not going to take you somewhere to hurt you. Yes? Yeah. You know she's not going to throw you in a ditch and leave you. Or sell you somewhere. She, you trust your mother. 
And so even when you don't know what route you're going on, but inside you're at peace. And this is where the peace comes from, isn't it? Inside you have peace because you trust the driver. And that is the only way to find peace in your life, is if you start trusting the driver. That's the only way. Because imagine if you didn't know who the driver was. Now it's an Uber driver taking you all over the place. Right? Into the woods. You do not know this route. This is not the way to your home. Now you're worried. Right? Now you're scared. Simply because you don't trust the driver. You don't even know who the driver is. Do you understand? You better know everywhere that this driver is going because you don't trust the driver. But when you trust the driver, it's different. And honestly, our problem deeply in our lives is we don't trust the driver of our life. Who, who is that? Allah, God. We don't actually trust the driver of our life. That is essentially our problem. So when he makes a, you know, a turn that we don't understand, Right? We're going down a route we don't know. You know these times in your life where you're like, you don't understand what's happening and you start getting really agitated? But God, why? But why? And you want answers. You know, it's like you're demanding answers. It's like, really? Really? Would you do that with a surgeon? Like, like who do you think you are? You, would you go to the brain surgeon and say, by the way, you can't operate on me until I understand every procedure that you're gonna do. And you're like a plumber. You don't know what is going on. You're just gonna trust the surgeon because the surgeon knows what the surgeon's doing and you don't. Do you understand what I'm saying? But God, we do this with Allah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Allah, you have to explain it to me. I have to understand it. I have to understand why you did this thing in my life. How many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's almost like we're putting God on trial. You know what I mean? Like, like as if Allah has to answer to me about what he's doing. We're, we're quite weird and arrogant that way. I mean, we wouldn't even do that with a doctor because we know our, our knowledge and we know that the doctor's not, the doctor went to school for like 12 years we, we, we're not going to understand how he or she is going to do brain surgery, right? And we trust that. Okay, doctor, you said I have a tumor. You said I need the surgery. I trust you. And I let you put me under and like have complete control with the, with the, with the needle, I mean with the, with the knife. I'm completely helpless when I'm under, when I'm, when that doctor has, when a doctor is, is operating on me, I have no control, right? I have absolutely no control. And I've given complete trust to this individual. Right? Yes? We won't even do that with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's this idea of like, but why God? And but I don't understand. And the other toxic thing that we do is we don't have a good opinion of Allah. We don't actually have a good opinion of Allah. Do you guys know what that means? It means, let me go back to my example about your mother. You have something for your mother called husnadhan. 
it means you have a good opinion of your mother. You, you trust that she's not going to do something bad. You know that she has your best interests in mind. This is like the benefit of the doubt, right? For your mom, you have that. That's why you're relaxed. But you don't have that for the Uber driver, right? And so you're always wondering, wait, wait, am I, is, he gonna, is she going to do something bad, you know? Our problem is we don't have husnadhanna billah. We don't have a good opinion of Allah where if something happens in our life, how many of us wonder, like, why is this bad thing happening? Why is God punishing me? Why, why, is, God, why is God, you know, being unfair to me? Why is, you know, this almost this anger, this resentment. And we're, we're always, sometimes we think very negatively about, about God. We think very negatively about what's happening in our life. We have a negative worldview. You understand? Like, if something is happening to us, there is a whole spectrum of ways to interpret it. There's a whole spectrum of ways to interpret the doctor giving you a shot. Well, the baby's interpretation is, this doctor's trying to kill me, maybe, right? Whereas the doctor's actually saving the child. And I think the problem is a lot of us have a negative opinion about Allah. When Allah is doing something in our life, when something works out or doesn't work out, do we have a positive understanding or do we have a negative understanding? Do we think that everything that happens is actually for our own good? Or are we thinking very negative? Oh, this is, this is gonna ruin my life or this has ruined my life or God is angry with me or God is punishing me. These kinds of ideas. So one of the most important things we have to change. So the first thing I said was, know your purpose. Remember that our ultimate purpose isn't our career. It isn't our money. It isn't our family even. It isn't, you know, fitting into a size whatever. You know, it isn't looking a certain way. It's ultimately to enslave ourselves to God and therefore be, become free. That's our ultimate purpose. And that makes everything else make sense and fall into place. But the other thing we have to do is stop being so negative in the way we understand our lives and the way we understand what Allah is doing in our lives. When a person has a positive opinion of Allah, it changes completely the way we respond to everything that happens. Remember the example of the mother driving, right? You were calm and you were at peace, even when you never understood. Even if there were bumps in the road, you're not panicking because you trust the driver. And so what we have to do is go back to trusting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to know that actually Allah is, is on our side. It's not us against God. You can't take on God, you know? It's, it's, we have to know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants good for us. There is a difference between thinking that your life is happening to you versus your life is happening for you. The things in your life, the things that happen in your life are actually happening for you. Even when you don't understand them, even when they seem bad, they seem negative, I promise you to that child that that shot seemed really bad. 
It seemed really negative, but it was actually saving the child's life. And this is exactly what happens in our life. Sometimes we don't get what we want. Raise your hand if you always get what you want. Shockingly, no one's raising their hand because that's not the way it works, right? We don't always get what we want. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us what we need. And there's a difference. There's a difference between getting what I want and getting what I need, right? We hope that sometimes they're the same thing, but not always. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now I want to talk about some practical steps. So this, this is theoretical. I touched upon one practical thing, but I want to go back and go a little deeper. I mentioned that we are told to pray not once, not twice, but five times a day and throughout the day. This is a prescription given to us by our Creator in order to remind us of our purpose while we're living our life. See, our religion, our deen, it's not the type of deen where you just, um, you know, you go off into a cave in order to be spiritual, right? You're not only spiritual on Fridays. You're not only spiritual in Ramadan. Spirituality in Islam is something we do while we're at work, while we are married and have children, while we are even enjoying ourselves. Can I tell you something deep? The Prophet said that even in the intimacy between husband and wife is an act of worship, it's a charity. Like, whoa. The Prophet said this to his companions and they were like, how is that? You know, but this is something that, this is enjoyment. How can that be a, 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 a sadaqah? Sadaqah. You know, sadaqah, that thing, you know, charity, like an act of worship. And the Prophet said, because if you did it outside of marriage, would it not be a sin? And so to do it within marriage is actually a rewardable, that's actually a good deed. And so you see that Islam isn't about being spiritual by leaving our life. It's about finding spirituality inside of our life. Inside of our life. Inside of our everyday mundane, right? You're gonna still have to go to work. You're still gonna have to take care of the kids. You're still gonna have to clean the house. You know what I mean? Like, you're still, you're still gonna have your social media and your social dramas and all that. But within that, and you're gonna have your trials. You're gonna have your storms. All that's gonna happen. You're gonna have bad weather. You're gonna have, you're gonna have storms. You're gonna have distractions. You're gonna have bad health sometimes. You're gonna have financial problems sometimes. You're gonna have family problems sometimes. Mental health problems sometimes. These are all part of life. Islam came to teach us how to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within all of those circumstances. It's not about leaving the world, but it's about being close to Allah inside the world. And that's what's very unique about Islam, by the way. That's what's very unique about Islam. If you study other, every other faith, every other spiritual path, it doesn't do that. It's, it doesn't do that. It's, it usually separates, right? Separates that we, we, we worship here and we do our job here and we get married. It, it's all separate. But Islam doesn't separate. It's, it's, it's holistic. Even within our lives and our jobs can be a worship. Within our relationship with our husbands and our wife is a worship. Taking care of your children and your home, that's part of, that can be a worship. 
Your job can be a worship. All of these things is part of worship. But the question is now practically how do we do that? How do we implement that practically? The number one way is by following the prescription. The five daily prayers is one of the most essential ways to do that. That's why the salah is so important. That's why our prayer is so important. Because there's no way that we can survive this life without salah. It's impossible. Salah is like spiritual oxygen. Exactly. <laughs> it's the spiritual oxygen. What happens to a person if they stop breathing? They die. Thank you. Exactly. Um, there's a lot of people who are spiritually dead. There's a lot of people who are spiritually dead. And the first cause of that is that they left their salah. Is that they left their prayer. It's the first thing we're taught when we're little, and it's the first thing we forget. Even though it's the most essential. It is actually as essential as oxygen. Can you imagine a person saying, you know what, I want to train for a marathon, and they're not breathing. Can you train for a marathon if you're not breathing? Can you be an Olympic athlete if you're not breathing? Absolutely not. You gotta breathe. You gotta breathe. Salah is your breathing. There is nothing that you can accomplish if you're not breathing spiritually. So you have to go back to this essential part of our, our, our spiritual livelihood, and that's Salah. And the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to do it certain times of the day. Do you know why that is? It's because Allah knows what He's doing. I promise you Allah knows what He's doing. So it's like Fajr, here's the thing, I know it's crazy. It's just, it's just a crazy concept. It's not just whenever we wake up. You feel me? It's not. It's actually a certain time. And why? Because Allah knows what He's doing. If a doctor told you you had to take a medicine at a specific time for it to work, you would follow that. If the doctor said, see this medicine, it won't work, and this medicine's keeping you alive, you'll take it on time. Right? Yes, you will. You will definitely, because we care about our life, and we trust the doctor. We say, you know what? The doctor knows what they're saying. Allah knows what he's doing when he tells us that dhuhr is at a certain time. Allah knows what he's doing when he says asr is at a certain time, and maghrib and isha. So I promise you that it, Allah knows. The second part of this prescription, so in order to live our lives in such a way where there is peace in the chaos, the second is, I advise every single person to have a regimen every day, even if it's for a few minutes, of afkar. What are afkar? Different types of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, the first one I mentioned was salah. That's essential. That's essential. But in addition to that, there's certain prayers, um, dua, certain supplications that the Prophet taught us. And these supplications, when you say them throughout your day, they actually transform your life. They transform your life. And I have challenged audiences all over the world to do this, and it actually changed people's lives. 
is when they started to make this a regiment, a regimented thing. Just like you get up, you eat, you know, you eat, you eat your meals, you take your vitamins, you do your exercise. There is also a spiritual regimen that we need. And when you follow it, it, it changes your life. And so that regimen is that there's certain supplications that we're told to say in the morning, that we're told to say in the evening, and before we sleep. Those three times are some of the most essential. There's of course other ones, small ones after prayer, right? You learn them. Um, there's supplications when, you know, the, the amazing thing is that the Prophet Sallallahu lived his life where throughout his life he was remembering God, right? So there's a supplication for everything. There's a supplication for driving, a supplication for leaving your home, a supplication for entering your home. There's even a supplication for entering the bathroom, a supplication before intimacy. There is a way to remember God according to the sunnah for everything in life. That actually is very powerful because that is what transforms the mundane into the spiritual. That's how we find spirituality within the mundane, right? Because you're still driving to work, right? You're still getting married. You're still, you know, using the restroom. You're still intimate with your spouse. You're still eating. But while you're doing these things, you're remembering Allah. Do you understand? So my advice practically is that to get an app on your phone, because you know what? <laughs> the phone is like a part of our like appendage, right? It's like it's like a it's like an organ. Um, and so we always have our phone. You're like, well, what? <laughs> Um, and so put the app on your phone called My Dua. This is, this is the one I use. There's, there's lots of them, but this is like best 99 cents you'll ever invest. Um, My Dua, M-Y-D-U-A-A. How many people have heard of Fortress of a Muslim? Many of you. This is just the app form of that, app, the app version of Fortress of a Muslim. What this app is, is a collection of verses and supplications to say in any aspect of life. So it's like, a, it's like a collection you can click on, okay, I'm traveling, here's a supplication. Um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling anxious today, here's a supplication. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting more provision, here's a supplication. Do you understand? So now that you have this app, which you're gonna download inshallah, and you're gonna, yeah, invest for, for the rest of your life, inshallah, just, just by downloading this and then using it. Once you get that app on your phone, what I advise is make sure that in the morning, you're doing your morning supplications, in the evening, you're doing your evening supplications, and you're saying some supplications before you sleep. Okay? Um, one other point I'm gonna I'm gonna pointer um, I'm gonna tell you is that in the app when you go to morning supplications so it's morning slash evening remembrance this was called okay when you go there you're gonna find there's a list of like 25 okay so what happens is human nature we might do all of them like one day and then never do it again because it took us an hour right so one principle I want to tell you very important is that it's not all or none. The Prophet ﷺ told us that Allah loves the actions that are consistent, even if they're small. Got that? That's a very important spiritual principle. 
the actions that are consistent even if they're small. And by the way, you see this in the physical world too, right? You know, it's better to do 50 sit-ups every day than to do like 5,000 and never do it again, right? So this is the way it works spiritually. Even if you're just gonna say a few, but be consistent, you will see a transformative effect. You don't have to spend an hour doing it. You can you can have you know something you can do on your commute. Um, you know, there's also a way to listen to it if you're driving, whatever. But what you can do in the app is you can put a star next to certain supplications, and then that becomes your collection. But make sure you're consistent. If you can want you know a lot seven of them or whatever amount, but be consistent in the morning in the evening and then before you sleep and just do that and after even a few days you will see a huge huge difference how many people have, is there anyone in the audience who tried this who did this so you guys know what i'm talking about the the, the difference did you see the difference yeah the it's it changes your your life it changes your um, psychological and emotional state. Am I right? So she's, she's like, yeah. And the days you don't do it, you feel it. Yes. I used to, say, I used to hang, it up, hang it up against the wall when I wake up, I'll just look at it. So he's saying he used to hang it up on the wall when you get up, you look at it. Exactly. And then, of course, like when you don't do it, you feel it, right? It's like, you know, you didn't do it. <laughs> um, I will tell this for those who are married, there's a lot of seminars out there about. You know, marriage advice and stuff. Actually, my husband is a is a marital coach himself, and he uses Islamic coaching. And one thing I will tell you is that all the advice that they give us, you know, Islamic marriage advice, Islamic marriage counsel, Islamic, honestly, the best marital advice I can give anyone is do your morning and evening of God. I promise you. Like, but no one says this, but I'm telling you, this is the secret. It's actually the best marriage advice I could give anyone. And, and I know it's from a lot of experience. So um, it's, it's really amazing because it changes your, um, your spiritual state. It changes your mental state. And, and remember we talked about the unseen? I mentioned a few things. I mentioned we don't see Allah, right? We don't see heaven and hell. We also don't see shaitan. We also don't see shaitan, and we also don't see shaitan's army, but it's real, and it exists. And Allah has told us in the Quran that shaitan is an avowed enemy to, to, to mankind, and to especially to the believer. And so what these athqar do, among other things, is they create a shield. This is, by the way, why it's called fortress of the Muslim, because it creates a fortress around the, the believer's heart and around your, your life, really, around your marriage, around your children. It is a shield from any kind of unseen force that wants, wants ill for us. And this is something documented in the Quran, that shaitan is an, is an open enemy. And so all around, it actually really transforms your, your, your entire life. So that was number two. And then finally, number three is having the Qur'an a daily part of your life. Now, I know many of us read a lot of Qur'an in Ramadan. We try to finish it, right? We go to Tarawiyah. But, but we have to be careful because what would happen to a person if they only eat for one month out of the year? And then they don't eat for 11 months. You're going to starve, right? 
And that's the problem, is that many of us, we have this spiritual nourishment in Ramadan, and then we starve our, our soul for the rest of the year. So we have to have Quran be a regular part of our, of our life, not only in Ramadan. Because you can't only eat you know, during, during one season. You have to eat throughout the year, and you have to breathe throughout the year. So these three things, the salah and on time, because again, Allah knows what He's doing when He when He commanded when He prescribed it at certain times, and Allah tells us this in the Quran that it is it is at a prescribed time. Number two was the afkar, the the, the app um, or any other one, but that that's one that I found to be very very good. Um, and then number three um, is the Quran, and within that is of course following the example of the Prophet because the Prophet and his Sunnah. And his hadith came as a way for us to live the Qur'an, for us to understand the Qur'an. When you do these three things, it allows you to find peace even within the chaos. And I promise you it will change your life. See, everything I'm saying right now will just sound like concepts. But when you actually do it and you're consistent, you will find that your life changes. One other thing that happens, and I, and I think one person mentioned this, is that there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of distraction, but there's also a lot of confusion. Sometimes we don't know black from white, you know, right from wrong. We don't know which way to go. We, we don't know what's right, what's wrong, who should I listen to, what, which website, this website says they're wrong, that website says they're wrong, that scholar says this, you know, and there's a lot of confusion even in our concepts. The media right now, Right, has certain um, has a certain agenda. There's certain things that you're supposed to think are right, and there's certain things you're supposed to think are wrong, and that's just how we're grown up. So how do we start to like have clarity of right and wrong? I'll tell you something. Clarity only comes when you polish the heart. That's the only way you're going to have clarity, because listen carefully. We don't see with our eyes. We see with our hearts. True, true sight. Let me explain. Obviously, we see physical things with our eyes. But true insight, that insight is from the heart. It's only through the heart. And so if the heart is dirty, you don't see things as they actually are. You don't have insight. You don't, under, you don't have true understanding. You'll think something that's really, really bad is actually good. You'll think something that's really good is actually bad. This is the reason why certain acts of worship, for example, start to look really heavy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Certain acts of worship start to look heavy. You know, hijab, for example. Hijab is one act of worship, like prayer or fasting. And for some people, it might start to look heavy. And part of that has to do with this, this, the state of the heart. If it's something that is an act of worship and it starts to become too heavy for me, then it's not about, you know, I, a person can come and talk, oh, but, this, but there's this ruling and there's this, you know, we, we talk a lot about rules. We're very good at talking about rules. But you can tell someone all the rules in the world, but the heart has to be polished too. Otherwise, a person will reject the rules. A person will reject it. There's a very profound 
narration, where Aisha she says that if the first verses to be revealed were do not drink alcohol, the people would have said we'll never leave alcohol. If the first verses were, were revealed to say do not commit fornication, the people would have said we're never gonna leave fornication. Listen, that's very profound. The Quran, when it came down with rules, it didn't start out with those. With those. In fact, the Quran didn't start out with rules. The fiqh, the rulings of like, this is haram, you know, alcohol, the, the, pro, pro, prohibiting alcohol, prohibiting riba, usury, um, or interest, prohibiting fornication, that stuff came later. That actually came later. The first verses, the, the, the bulk of the verses in Mecca, the Meccan verses, aren't about rules. And you'll know, if you study the Quran, you'll find there's two types of verses, right? The verses that came down in Mecca, and then the verses that came down in Medina, the second part of the, of the revelation. And they're, they're quite different. Most of the verses that were revealed in Mecca are about polishing the heart, are about strengthening the heart, about strengthening the connection with God, about the day of judgment, about, about understanding our purpose. Do you understand? And then later came the rules. Do you know why that is? Because when people created a strong attachment to Allah, a strong attachment to God, when people polished their hearts through the remembrance of Allah, through the consciousness of Allah, through knowing that the, that the day of judgment is coming, then when they were given rules, you know what happened? We hear and we obey. The moment that the prohibition of alcohol came, people were just dumping their alcohol on the street. You see, that was, it was an automatic submission. Why? You know why? Because when you love someone, when you love someone, they say jump, you say, how high? That's how it works. That's actually how it works. And, and all you have to do is think about the person you love most in your life. The person you love most in your life. And when they ask something of you, when they want something from you, right? Especially, you know, when you see like, if two people are like, if someone's like madly in love with someone, Allah, they're a slave to that person. You know what I mean? They say jump, that's it, just tell me where. And that's also like, like a, quite, a, quite a power and it can become dangerous, right? But that's the thing about love. And so when a person polishes the heart and loves Allah and has an attachment to Allah, then the rules become easier to follow. You see? It's not a burden anymore. It's not a burden. When you love someone, it's not a burden to do stuff for them. Do you notice that? Think about a mother and her child. Like, just think about that. The amount of things that a mother will do for her child, why? It's, it's not even, a, it doesn't feel like a burden. It's love. But, I mean, if it was someone else, you'd have to hire them and pay them a lot of money to do that same stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And a lot of people would be like, no way, I'm not going to be up all night with your child. No amount of money, you know? Like, the things that a mother will do, right? But that's love. And so what happens is when you love Allah and when you polish and strengthen the heart, the rules become easier. It doesn't feel like a burden anymore. It, it's something that's easier to do. 
So this is very important. And it gives you, when you polish the heart, it gives you a way to see things as they really are. You start to have insight. You start to understand things. But that can never happen if the heart is dirty. And so this regimen, this regimen of um, the prayer, the Afkar, and the Qur'an, what that does is it strengthens the heart, it feeds the heart, and it makes the heart healthy. And I'm going to end with one thing which is also extremely important. It is, it is inside of the Afkar, but I'm going, to, I'm going to highlight it because it's very important. I mentioned that the heart is like a lens. That's how you see the world, right? What happens if a lens is covered with dirt? Can't see anything, right? If your glasses, you have like a thick layer of dirt over your glasses, you can't see anything, right? Everything's dark. What happens is that when we commit sins, and by the way, everyone commits sins because we're human. But when we commit sins without consciousness and without repentance, what it does is it creates a layer of dirt on our hearts. Every time we commit a sin, Allah tells us in the Quran, there is a ra'an put on the heart. That's like a black stain. And so if a person isn't cleaning it, eventually what happens is you, the whole heart gets covered with darkness, with, with dirt, really, literally. And so that person's heart is covered, and so that person cannot see with insight, true, like spiritual insight. Things will become very confused for that person. They won't be able to have clarity or guidance or understanding. And so what, what the solution is, is to clean the heart, to remove the dirt. How do you do that? Repentance. And this is a very essential part of our deen. It's tawbah and istighfar. It's to turn back to Allah and to repent. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves for us to turn back to Him and to repent. Anyone and everyone can do that. There is no human being who has, who has committed too many sins to be able to turn back. Anyone can turn back to Allah. There's no such thing as too much sin. And, 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 if you, and honestly, this is actually a trick of shaitan. Shaitan will tell you, but you're too far. You know what I mean? But remember this thing you did? Remember all this that you've done? Remember this, you know, see this mountain of sin? You're too far away to repent. There's no such thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that even if we come with, a, with, with sins that reach the sky, so the area from the, from the earth to the sky, and we repent to him sincerely, he will give us even greater forgiveness than that. So anyone can go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we all need to constantly be repenting, because that's the cleaning of the heart, right? You can't take a shower once a year and think you're good, right? Not gonna work. You gotta constantly clean and the heart is the same way. Um, I'm going to pause there and take a couple questions, inshallah. Do we want to use a mic or should I just repeat the question? Yeah, we'll use a mic. We'll use a mic, okay. balance in terms of the actual medical needs, chemical imbalance. 
Is there taboos in terms of oh, if you're taking antidepressants or if you're suffering through depression, anxiety, that's a sign of weakened mind? I was hoping if you could elaborate on that, please. Okay. Uh, and, and that's a, a whole seminar in and, up, in and of itself. And I've taught actually seminars about that exact question. Um, so I'll try to summarize um, because it's a big question. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, I did an entire seminar in Scotland recently just about that, about, about depression um, and spirituality or mental health and spirituality. Basically, um, I think that we have extremes in our community. Uh, and, and I think what happens is that when you have one extreme, uh, a lot of times there's a reaction of another extreme. So on the one hand, we have this extreme where um, we've had this extreme and it's still prevalent where there's this idea that uh, there's no such thing as mental health issues. Um, if, you know, if you just pray and if you, and if you um, have strong enough iman, you'll never have any, any issues. That's an extreme. Um, it, to say that like, um, you should never feel sad is ridiculous. Uh, because sadness is a, is a normal human emotion, um, and 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 so of course uh, when it turns into depression, then that's something that um, is outside of the realm of, of normal. But some type of, of sadness, um, you know, we have ups and downs in our emotions. Um, now, depression itself, you know, what is it that causes depression? The 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 other extreme. Uh, so this is one extreme. The other extreme is this idea that everything is just medical, um, that everything is just physical, that everything is just biological. And that's also not true. Uh, the, the, the reality is somewhere in between. Uh, and the reason for that is that the human being is comprised of a physical self. We have obviously a body, we have neurotransmitters, we have chemicals, we have organs, that, that's, that's real. Um, but the human being is also comprised of a soul. The human being also has a, has a soul. The human being also has a, a spiritual heart. The human being also has a mind. So there's a psychology, right? There's, a, there's the biology, there's the spirituality, and they're all connected within the same individual. So you can't really, I think, separate them, and I think the problem is that we've, we've separated them. Where we said, um, okay, it's only this, or it's only, you know, some people say it's only biological. Only, only chemicals cause depression. Only, um, only uh, uh, you know, less serotonin or only dopamine. Um, and then, then you have the other people saying, well, it's just Iman. It's just your faith. Only that. Um, but the reality is that there are multi, it's a multifaceted issue. There are many factors that contribute. If a person is depressed, it, it's many factors. It is not black and white. And that's, I think, the problem, is that many of us want to, it's like one camp or the other, right? It's black and white. It isn't. It is not black and white any more than an individual is just one thing. A human being is not just one thing. We are spiritual, mental, and physical. And so the answer to, to you know, the, the, the best answer that I can give is that we have to look at all of these elements when we're addressing an issue like depression. We have to look at all of these elements. Um, the biological element, the spiritual element, the uh, mental element, as well as sometimes it's, it's a nutrition, um, there's a nutrition element to it. Um, sometimes it's environmental. We have to look at the environmental element. I mean, sometimes a person is depressed because there's something in their life they need to change. Maybe they're in a toxic home environment and that's what's causing their depression. I can give that person antidepressants, but
But if they continue to stay in that toxic home environment, the antidepressants aren't gonna fix the problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you're not addressing the cause, you're addressing the symptom. So it's very, very important that we stop just talking about symptoms, right? I can have a headache and I can just keep popping, you know, ibuprofen or Tylenol, but there's something causing my headache and if I don't address that, then I'm not gonna actually solve the problem. I'm just treating symptoms. And I think that's, that's one of the problems with only looking at it as a biological um, issue. I can take uh, an antidepressant, but there might be other causes of my depression that I have to address. And, and sometimes it's environmental. A lot of people are in bad situations, um, maybe abusive marriages, abusive, uh, you know, maybe some, some sort of toxic environment, and they need to change that. Um, and the medication isn't gonna change that. Uh, and then another element, of course, is spiritual. I mean, what, what I mentioned of these three things, that also is very powerful. That's very, very, it's a, that's a spiritual tool that's very powerful mentally and, and in, in terms of our mental health as well. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, I didn't get a chance to talk about it here, but I, I do talk about it in other talks I have online and, 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 in, and in my written work, but also the, our mental um, patterns, like our, our thinking patterns also affect um, our, our, ment our emotions a lot. So the way we think about the world, um, the, the, the types of patterns we have in our thinking, um, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that these can also contribute to depression and anxiety. Uh, the, the way we, we understand the world, the way we think about the world, the, the way we um, process things. So there's a lot of elements. You can't really just put it in one box. And, and one last thing, sorry, I'll get to your question. Um, one other thing I will put out there, there's a lot of research about, about this and this also in the Qur'an, is the, is the um, power of gratitude. Um, the Qur'an tells us um, that Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Allah says that if you are grateful, I will increase you. And when you look at the research, you find that one of the most powerful uh, sort of treatments that they found even for depression is gratitude. Uh, keeping a gratitude journal, that's what they, they, they found in research, is that when, you, when, a, when, when, they, when they had participants write down five things that they're grateful for every day, that it actually was effective in, in treating depression. So there's lots of different things that you can do, and like I said, it's, it's, it's many, it's multifaceted, so. I percent. So one of the things you mentioned is that the storms will come, and um, one of the um, one of the solutions you mentioned is having personal friends in the law. Um, have I built that? Like, as you might have some, but like, have have I cultivated? So so storms don't shake. Great. So her question is, how do I cultivate which means having a positive opinion of God? Um, this is that concept of I know that God wants good for me. I know what God is doing is good for me. That that positivity with Allah, how do you cultivate that? The answer is by getting to know Allah. By getting to know Allah. Because if you know Allah, you love Allah. Yeah? So how do you get to know Allah? The best way is by reading His words. The more that you understand, the more that you get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His words and through um, through praying to him, through create, like um, the more you remember him, the more you're building a connection with him, uh, the more that you will realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only wants good for you and that, that Allah is 
um, is always protecting you and taking care of you. But that happens through building a relationship. Like you didn't become best friends with your best friend like without building a relationship or you know your spouse. And so you have to we have to build. And Allah is high above any analogy. Allah is our creator. But the more we know Allah through 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 remembering Him and reading His words um, and reflecting on it, the more we will will have a good opinion of Allah. And one other thing to do is is important is to reflect on the creation too, because um, all around us are signs of Allah. All around us. In you know, indeed in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the alteration of night and day are signs for those of understanding. That's what that's what the ayah says. So it's important too that we reflect on, on the world around us too. And we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that. But the heart has to be clean to be able to see it. Yes, or, yeah, okay. I just have a question about your first point and striving and not giving up and keep going. At what point do you think the American mentality of the first, you know, you don't say strive or, you know, like more the Muslim, like this is what Allah wills? Yeah. Like, where's the balance in that? I guess where I, that's yeah. what I struggle with. That's a great question. Um, and the answer to it is not um, black and white. So, Honestly, what I would say as the best advice for that question is this is why we seek a guidance from Allah. There's, there's, a, there's a gift that Allah has given us called istikhara. How many of you have heard of istikhara? Istikhara is usually this like understood as this ritual you do before you get married, right? <laughs> um, but istikhara is much, much deeper than just that. Istikhara is a prayer that we that we do to, to seek guidance, to seek direction. How does it work, right? Well, we and, and that's also in your app. So you, you pray two rakahs of, of extra nath and prayer, and then you recite this this uh, dua. Now when you look at the meaning of this dua, what it's asking from Allah is, Allah, if this is good for me in my dunya and my akhirah, so in this life and the next, then then make it happen, make it easy and put blessing in it. And if this is not good for me in my dunya and my akhirah, then take it away from me and take me away from it. And then bring me what is good for me and make me pleased with it. So istikhab, yes, isn't that deep? Yes. <laughs> you know, when you when you when you really understand what you're saying, istikhara is a perfect God. Because it's exactly what we want. Who in the world wants things that are bad for them? Anybody want? It's like, no, actually I want it, even if it's bad for you. We want only goodness, right? We don't want to be hurt. And so istikhara is actually just asking God to bring what is good and take away what is bad. And if something is not good for you, Istikhara says, replace it with what's good for me and make me happy with it. I mean, it's like so comprehensive. Why do we not use Istikhara more, right? Why is it just a ritual we do, you know, when we, when we, before we get married? And then, and then of course, it's like, oh, we had a dream and weird stuff, right? <laughs> like, at the end, it's like there's so many weird myths that come with Istikhara. And, and I heard recently that 
you pay people to, to praise the Chana for you or something? Um, that's really strange. That's really weird. Because you're just supposed to pray for yourself, right? And, and one of my favorite breakup lines is, my mom prays the Chana. It's not even like I praise the Chana. Mama's boy prayed, mama's boy's mama prayed this um, But the point here is that istikhara is something that you're asking Allah direct to me and, and, and take away what's bad and bring me what's good. So we need to use that type of, like that's the concept we have to have in life. Is that yes, we, we do our effort, we take, we, we, we tie our camel, right? We, we do our striving, but at the same time, we ask Allah, you know what, if this is good, then, then make it happen. And if it's not, take it away, because I don't want anything that's not good for me. Nobody wants that. So it's really asking Allah to take care of it. So sometimes in life, we might be trying for something, and we keep trying and trying, trying, and it's just not working out, right? So at some point, you know, if we're praying istikhara, we need to understand that that's Allah answering our istikhara. The answer, where in this dua do we ask for a dream? <laughs> right? Do you guys, did you hear it? Because I didn't. It's not in the du'a. Show me a dream. We're not prophets. Like, yes, there is such thing as true dreams. Even, even non-prophets can have true dreams. But, there's, but we don't have any way of knowing, right? Because a dream can be from three sources if you're not a prophet. It can either be true from Allah, Okay. It can either be true <laughs> if it's from Allah, or it can be from the nafs, my own self. Like, um, okay, <laughs> maybe I'm just really like worried about something, so I dream about it. Or it could be from shaitan. Or it can be from shaitan. So how do I know the difference? Like, I'm gonna make this huge decision based on a dream that could be from shaitan. Or it could be from what I ate last night for dinner, you know? Like, and plus I'm, I'm of course interpreting the dream as I want too, because you know what, I had a dream about a dog, and then that means that the dog begins with D, and the person's name begins with D, so that means I should marry them. <laughs> like, I can also do that. <laughs> like, so it's like, you, it's the common, isn't, isn't like, you know, even this, this anyway, Istikhara essentially is asking Allah to take over, to, to make it happen and smooth and put blessing if it's good for you and to take it away if it's not. So I highly, highly recommend you know, get, get, getting back into this sunnah of, of doing istikhara. Because we don't know what's best for us. We don't know the unseen. Um, I had a question. Okay, right, right, right. I don't know where you are. Okay, there you go. In terms of like asking for forgiveness to like uh, purify our hearts, um, is that like something where we can just do like, like, like read Astaghfirullah again and again, or is it something like where we need to, in our mind, remember or like be aware of the things that we did wrong and then ask for forgiveness, or is it just like, we can just like read or ask for forgiveness in general constantly? The answer is both. Both. We need to do both. Uh, Istighfar can be like about a specific sin where you, you, you're making repentance about a specific sin, and it also should be. Like 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 something that we do, Astaghfirullah. The Prophet said them in his, his sunnah that he would say Astaghfirullah 
numerous times a day. One narration says 100 times a day. It, it was something that it was part of his regular afghan. So um, both. The answer is both. And that's all part of the purifying. And, and then there's also the istikhar for specific things. Uh -huh. um, really quickly, let me just, just say it since you didn't ask. Um, so the requirements for like a specific type of tawbah or istikhar, so you committed a specific sin and you want to repent from that specific sin. Um, so the first requirement, three requirements sometimes for depending on what the sin is. One is that you, you feel a sense of remorse. You feel um, you know, bad about the sin. Um, the second is that you stop doing the sin. And then third is that you make the intention not to return to it. Okay. Um, the fourth is when your sin involves the rights of another human being. And that's to try to rectify it with that, with that other human being, if possible. Um, one example is, is stealing. Stealing is a sin against God, but it's also a sin against human, right? Because you've taken someone else's right. So in that case, it would involve making right with God, but also with, with the person. And that's not always possible, um, but, but it's possible, yeah. I just had a question. Um, as a mom, we just saw you were worried. You heard your child outside. But um, any advice or as far specifically if a mom's trying to get out of the chaos of just having your kids? <laughs> um, so the last part of the question, the chaos of just... Just being a mom. Yes, okay. Okay. Um, so actually, again, the best advice I can give to a mom, like first best advice is do your afghan. Like I'm serious because um, the thing about uh, the thing about doing your afghan, uh, especially if you're like on top of your absolute basics, your five prayers, uh, your, your afghan of morning, evening, and you know, before you sleep. And then as much as you can, you know, when you're driving, you say your afghan, you know, when you're, when you, before you eat, after your prayer. What that does is it changes your state. It changes your state. So you're able to do more in less time. That's huge. Um, there's something called barakah. Barakah means blessing. And it's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts blessing in your time, for example. Um, then you can do more in less time. Um, you can do more with less effort, right? Um, barakah in your efforts means that you can get more with less effort. Barakah in your wealth, that you can, your wealth will be able to do more with less wealth. So we want barakah, we want the help of Allah. That's what Afqa does that for you. Um, it allows you to be a lot more patient, which is really, really necessary, um, especially with you know children that, that test your patience. And of course they're designed to test especially your buttons, right? Because they're from your genes, um, and um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, Allah told us that that our children are a test, that our children are a fitna, and not in a bad way, but it's a test. It's a test, and children are definitely a test. One other advice I want to give to moms, um, and I wish we had more time to talk about this one, um, but one mistake that a lot of moms do uh, is that we we do off around our children. We, 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 we revolve around our children. So that's very dangerous and unhealthy. I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, 
because the love that a mother feels for the child is, is natural. You know, subhanAllah, this is mercy. Um, it becomes a test for her too, where um, we, we can put the children at the center of our life, the center of our existence, really. And everything becomes about the child. Now, this becomes dangerous for the individual, but it also becomes dangerous for the marriage. Because what happens is you stop investing in your marriage, and both parents are just holding hands doing the walk together around the child. And that's like the only that's like the only relationship they have is that they're both together doing the walk around the child. You know what I'm saying? They stop being husband and wife and they're just mom and dad. You know what I'm talking about? It's all about the kids. It's all about the kids. Dude, stop worshiping your child. It's not all about the kids. And this is also not very healthy because we're raising narcissists. That's another problem, especially the boys. Someone's always talking when I say that because they feel that. So when you, especially in certain cultures, you know, Asian, I mean, certain cultures, um, so especially in certain cultures, having a son is like, the sun. <laughs> she feels me. Um, and so, you know, you know what I'm saying? So that's so dangerous. That's so unhealthy. Uh, and, and I think that's the one of the biggest mistakes we make uh, is, is that now it's like this child, and like I said, specifically the sun, becomes the center of everyone's universe, especially the mom. And she gives, you know, it's like, Everything about her own life and her own development and her own growth, um, even her own relationship with her husband, everything gets put aside. And now it's all about the needs of this, this child. Uh, and, and that's an imbalance and it's unhealthy. And to worship a, a child in that way, worship, right? You're not praying to them, but this is a type of worship, um, is very unhealthy to that child. Now that child grows up, and let's add to that, is that during this tawaf, that child is also not learning to be responsible. It's not learning to do things for themselves. Um, you know, you have these boys who are not even making their own beds. You know, they're not, they're not taking any responsibility uh, outside of playing video games. And, and that's, a, that's a big problem. That's a big problem because it's, it's, it's creating, you're handicapping a child, right? Because you're not letting them do anything for themselves. They don't know how to do anything. Uh, and, and, we, and we as moms, we call it love, right? But no, it's because I love my child, that's why I do everything for him, but you're handicapping him. Because when is he learning to be a man? Because you know what, he's supposed to be a man. He can't be a, a man-child. He can't be a boy forever. He has to become a man. And a man is then gonna be responsible for his family, and he's supposed to have, you know, these are leaders that we're supposed to be raising, right? So it is a problem, and it's it's something that we have to start changing as moms. So since you asked it, um, that that is that is something that we uh, we need to start talking about. Uh, yeah, um, but one other thing I'm going to add. Um, this is also why we're having um, later on we have issues with the mother-in-law. This is the reason. This is the reason. It's because the mother, so who becomes the mother-in-law, right? Because you married her son. 
But the problem was that long ago, <laughs> long ago, she gave up her life just doing a walk around this child. And now he's 30, about five, and she's not about to lose that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, uh uh. Like, you think that you're gonna come marry my son and everything I did for him is just, you're, is you're, no, you know what I mean? So it's, it becomes like this attachment that's very not healthy. It's not healthy. Because, but, but what's the root cause of it? It's because you had an unhealthy, this, this was unhealthy. It, our life is not supposed to revolve around another human being, even if it's your own child, even if it's your spouse. Yeah, it's it's not it, that's that's an imbalance. That's that's our life is supposed to revolve around our Creator. That's what it means to be Abdullah. You understand? So this is the freedom that comes with Abudaya, true Abudaya, is that I'm not doing this around my child. And then we have healthier relationships. You're not going to have that whole mother-in-law issue because if the relationship from the start is healthy. Maybe we should, we should end on that note. <laughs> okay, how much time do we have for, for any more questions? One more question. One more, all right. Oh dear, it's always hard. Who has the most, I was asked this and everyone says me, who has the most important question ever? <laughs> oh, well you have a mic, so. It must be you. All right, we'll come, we'll, you know, what's it? 9.48 p.m. Oh, thank you. So I just want to say thank you for coming. I was really excited to see you. Okay. Um, so I'm so glad I met you in real life, and I hope to see the picture of you just because I think you're phenomenal. Um, when I make chaos, I turn on the video of yours, and it really helps me through uh, my challenges. So I really appreciate that. Um, but my question is, um, I hear your talks, and today you mentioned some, it's about suburb and then oppression. How do you, in a situation of chaos, right, like how do you know if something you should seek patience in and prayer in versus something that you may be being oppressed with. Mm -hmm. So where does that come in? Um, yeah, great question. Um, and, and again, that, that's actually something I do cover in a lot of my talks. Um, and that's something that's so important. People misunderstand the meaning of sub. So sub, this word sub doesn't mean being passive. It's not the same thing. Sub, sub has, basically sub is an umbrella term, which includes different action depending on the situation. Does that make sense? So sometimes sub means taking action. Sometimes sub means accepting the decree of Allah. Sometimes sub means um, persevering. So sub is an, is an inclusive term. So it actually depends on the situation. Now what does the Prophet tell us about oppression? The Prophet tells us that if you see something wrong, you should try to change it with your hand. He doesn't say, if you see something wrong, have silver sister. That's not what the Prophet said. If you see something wrong, you should try to change it with your hand. And if you cannot, he says then with your tongue, speaking against it. And if you cannot, then at least hate it in your heart. And this is the weakest of faith. So it's part of our faith to try to take action against oppression, against something that's wrong. And another hadith, he says, Salah said in that, 
help your brother if he is an oppressor or he is oppressed. So the companions wondered the same thing all of you are wondering, which is, well, we know how to help him if he's oppressed, but how do I help him if he's the oppressor? And he said, by stopping him from oppressing. By stopping him from oppressing, meaning, meaning, we should not be complicit in oppression. When I allow oppression to continue, I'm not helping my brother. When I stop someone from oppressing, I'm helping my brother. So the question comes to, it depends if the situation is actually um, an oppression or an overstepping of, of your rights. Does that make sense? So it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger had told, had given us what our rights are. He, there's certain things that were given by Allah that, that this is your right as a human being. That this is your right as a child. This is your right as a wife. This is your right as a husband. This is your right given by God. So this is called a God-given right. It's given by Allah. If someone tries to take away a God-given right, then that's oppression. And that's not something you should turn their achievement about. That's not what sabr means. Sabr would be, for example, if there is um, a situation where um, somebody, there's something that can't be changed. So, for example, someone passes away. You can't change that. So you have sabr. You, you accept the decree of Allah without complaining against Allah. That's sabr. But when there's a situation that can be changed, and you should take action to change it. That's part of our worship. So oppression is not something that we're supposed to turn the other cheek to. If someone is taking away your God-given right, or the God-given right of another person, so, so that's part of um, taking action against oppression. And that's called sabr too, because sabr is sometimes an active word. It means to persevere. So it, it depends on the situation, but if there is oppression, we're not supposed to stay quiet about it. Yeah. So that was, that was it. Okay. Um, just a couple of announcements. I do have a few copies of my books. I have two books, Reclaim Your Heart, Love and Happiness. Um, we'll be available here. I'll sign them, inshallah, if you guys want good photos. Um, also, um, we'll have more information if someone is looking for coaching. Um, my husband does assembly-based coaching uh, for couples and specifically for men. Uh, so if you are interested or you know someone is interested, you can get more information. Just that.